I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. Like it or not, the 21st century is the century of Islam. This 1,400-year-old religion has around 1.5 billion believers. And its philosophy and morals are profoundly shaping the world in which we live. Like any religion, Islam has its beauty as well as its dark sides. To some parts of Western society, Islam is associated with warmongering, cruelty and terror. To others, it's just another religion to be respected alongside Judaism and Christianity. Many know the story of the two most dominant streams in Islam, the Sunni and Shia forever torn in a nasty conflict fueled by ancient grudges and bad blood. But amidst the wars within Islam and the wars it's fighting with Western society, certain streams in the religion remain quiet in the dark, waiting to be discovered. One such group is the Sufis. Sufis are a mystical sect of Islam, established around 200 years after Muhammad. They believe in peace and love, and they live in poverty, dedicating their lives to helping others. Dr. Sarasviri is a professor emerita at the Arabic Language and Literature Department at the Hebrew University. She is an extremely prominent scholar of Sufism, and her book, The Taste of Hidden Things, depicts her lifelong studies. She joins us to talk about a lesser-known side of Islam. This podcast is made in collaboration with The Jewish Journal. And as you can hear, Eitan is yet again not here. He'll be back next episode, but I'm here with Professor Sviri. Hello. Yes, hello, Naol. Thank you very much for approaching me and for coming to talk to me. We actually owe this meeting to one of our listeners, Hagar, who mm-hmm. said she heard you in a lecture and that you were amazing. So she said we have to have you. <laughs> so I wish I knew, uh, I knew Hagar. I probably do know, <laughs> but uh, just the name, I'm not sure that I am familiar. So who are the Sufis? Well, I tell you something. First of all, I hope I don't uh, in, uh, infringe on your opening when I say that uh, when you describe them as a sect, I would, something in me said, hey, hello, they are not a sect. I don't know what a sect exactly mean, but uh, it means something very close and very um, sort secluded, of, uh, maybe. secluded. And I don't think that that's appropriate, an appropriate um, term for them. I would say that they are a, a stream within Islam, the mystical stream. Some would say the mystical dimension of Islam. And then we can talk, if you like, what does it mean later on, perhaps, uh, what does it really mean to be a mystical stream but they're not a sect I wouldn't call them a sect they're um, not a cult by the Islam? no I don't think that they are a cult um, usually they not all Muslims uh, especially if they tend to be kind of um, fundamental or really advocating something very um, doctrinal and precise uh, then maybe maybe these um, streams within Islam will not accept the Sufis as something very appropriate to Islam not accept meaning they'll cut their heads off no, no, they won't. They argue. Uh, it's sometimes maybe it will come to, you know, uh, like uh, a year ago or something like that. There was an incident in, the, in, in one of the mosques that is regarded as a Sufi mosque in, um, in the Gaza Strip where they actually attacked Sufis um, militantly. But I don't think it has reached that point. God forbid that it does, but uh, anyway, Islam has many, many streams and many trends, and not necessarily sects. You wouldn't call the Shia a a sect, and you wouldn't call the Sunnis a sect. It's like the different colorings of uh, of Islam. The Alawis? Well, Alawis, it's a, it's a, a different story. Um, so it's, you can't it, mix it's oranges. You, you and can't mix it, apples. and you can't be very, very precise about what a sect means, what a trend means, what a stream uh, me, means. It 
means different things to different people right, and right. it always depends who you are asking. But just to say that um, as much as uh, Judaism, Christianity and other religions have a mystical dimension in them, have a streak or a stream of people who follow a mystical path, the same is true uh, as regards uh, Islam. And Sufism is that mystical uh, stream. So we can talk a lot so about... So they are accepted. Well, um, it, it, it's very difficult to say because you see things are shifting and things are very um, fluid. And like today, they I'm not sure that they are accepted but by every um, Muslim. Uh-huh. But it's not it's not that they are going to be their heads are going to be cut off. They are going to have their own uh, strategic strategies of making themselves not so obvious, not so open. They will sort of put themselves a little bit in the dark, in the darkness uh-huh. of Islam. Not in the darkness in the in the in the sense of being um, sort of. Uh, um, frightening or something like that, but not so that they will prefer not to be very, very obvious, mm-hmm. very upfront. That's in generalities. Now, uh, always reminds me of the Jews. Yes, yes, in a way, in a way, yes, they are there, they are accepted, they are even respected, but they currently keep currently, to themselves. Currently. It's not the right politics for them to be upfront. If and if you're go if I'm a Sufi or if you go in the street of I don't know, Iran or Iraq, and you say you go to the falafel shop and you say hello, I, I'm a Sufi. Ah oh, well, that's that's an what interesting will happen? Si- that, that's an interesting situation. Well, let me tell <laughs> you. Let, let let me give you an example from here. And do I need to say it, or will they know? No, by no. Okay, very good question. Because there are no, there are just, not just many. Just a minute. I have to fix it. There's a in this cable. Oh oh oh! One two three. One two three. One two three. Yes. So back yes. to the question. Well, um, in 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 certain places there may be some ob- ob- obvious um, clothing or having uh, some kind of uh, headgear that pronounces that a certain uh, human being is a Sufi, but not really, not really, not everywhere. And it's very, it's not necessary, um, especially for women, of course, we, who have uh, another um, dress code, mm-hmm. okay? Um but uh, what I wanted to tell you is because uh, why should we go somewhere very far? I will tell you uh, about what's going on here. An example of a situation that I have been in only two weeks ago. Only two weeks ago. Um, I am currently having um, a study group together with a friend of mine who whose expertise, uh, academic expertise, expertise is uh, Jewish mysticism, but she's also an activist in uh, relationship between Jews and Palestinians. So we have a study group. Uh, We meet um, for 20 uh, lessons with some something like 20 or 25 people. And um, I do the Sufi side, and she does the um, Zohar or Kabbalah side, and we're doing it in Hebrew. So we bring texts and we talk about it. And uh, two weeks ago, she brought someone who is a Palestinian, a friend of her, who is very much engaged in this uh, Israeli-Palestinians getting together and, and trying to make some kind of bridges. He's a Muslim, and he's quite well educated, and he came to the class, she invited him to the class, and everything that I had to deliver was absolutely new to him. He opened his eyes and he said, is this so? Is this current? Is this also so? Like what? What, what did he, didn't he know? Well, all kinds of uh, relationship between God and human beings. According to the Sufis. According to the Sufis, which is very, very close. You might have turned him into a Sufi. 
during uh, the... It's a possibility because he was, he said, wow, I didn't know that we have such a thing and we never, we were never taught. Now he must be in his 40s or something like that. I think if he were in his 70s, he wouldn't say that because um, there was a time that Sufism was much more respected and much more prevalent. Mm -hmm. uh, so just to, to give you an example of somebody who is very, his heart is in the right place. He wants to build bridges. He's not uh, antagonistic, not even to Israelis, let alone to Muslims of, of some sort. But he, he didn't know anything. It's something which is a little bit hidden. It's a little bit... Why? Well, um, in, in its nature, it always is, because it's the mystical dimension, it's also called the knowledge of God, the hidden knowledge of God. So in its nature, it is esoteric. Like, for example, uh, the um, Kabbalistic teaching is not, uh, it's not, not every Jew is familiar with the Kabbalistic traditions. Yeah. It's something which is, by its nature, a little bit remote, a little bit closed. And then into it come also cultural, political, historical uh, facts, which make sometimes the esoteric aspects very much prominent. And at other times, they have to go a little bit more underground, which is the current situation. So what is Sufism? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, the big question. Uh, the big question. Well, the Sufis, another thing that you said, which I think has connection with the term Sufi, but it's not necessarily so. You said that they are poor. Did you, you say Yeah, that, I said that they believe uh, in poverty as, as that's what I read. Yes, that's what you read. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's true to a point, but uh, I don't think it's necessarily so. Okay. There are rich Sufis, there are poor Sufis, there are all kinds of Sufis. But uh, the idea of being a Sufi means that the person who thinks of himself or herself as a Sufi, has a special relationship with, with God. The idea is that God is not the concept of God. I mean, is not only of somebody who sits very transcendently up there somewhere and we don't have any, con we cannot have any connection with him because he's so other and so transcendent. Yes, he is other and he's transcendent and he's totally different. And yet, and yet, there is a verse in the Quran, and by the way, the Quran is the basis for everything that Sufis will say. Um, and there is a verse in the Quran which says, I, that's God speaking, I am nearer to you than your jugular vein. This is in the Quran. Jug again, again, again. I am near, you must know that I, i.e. God, because yes. God is speaking in the first person in the, in the Quran. Yes. I am nearer to you or closer to you than your jugular vein, the, uh -huh. the, the main vein that supplies, uh -huh. Uh, uh -huh. you know. So I am so close to you. You breathe with me. When you breathe, I breathe with you. There, there is a kind of sense of synergy. Um, I don't, obviously, Sufis will not use this term. It's, it's, it's a term that I have been using to say there is something, a, a relationship, a very close relationship. So how does modesty or poverty come to place there? Yes. In that sense? I, that's a very good question. The, the, it, it's not that it's given without any um, effort on the part of the human being. It, it maybe it's given, but the human being is built in such a way that there are many, many veils. So this kind of closeness or intimacy even, or love is not something that we usually know, that we are usually aware of, because we are caught up in everything. Diversions and... Exactly, diversions day -day. and appetites and desires and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So it needs a, special, a certain withdrawal a certain withdrawal into retreats, into silences. And also, th this is the aspect that Sufis will call poverty. Like I may be, they give the example of the, of the um, biblical uh, patriarchs, like Abraham. Uh, he was very rich. And you know, I mean, Islam is part of the Abrahamic religions, and mm -hmm. Abraham is a very important figure there. So he was very rich and he had many um, 
his property was large and so on. And they will say, that's not the point. The point is he was never attached to anything that he belonged because his heart was always with God mm -hmm. and he surrendered to God. So this aspect of surrender, withdrawal, acceptance, all these aspects are part of a picture of the... Um, what you can call, or what the Sufis may call sometimes poverty. Poverty, they will talk about poverty of the heart. The heart has no place for anything apart from God. So if the heart is full with the love of God, with the longing for God, with the feeling of God's nearness and all these things that Sufis talk about, the heart really, I mean, the heart is also the hidden part of, of, the, of the human um, psychology or makeup. Um, there's, it, it can contain nothing else. I have to ask you just my association, but uh, it reminds me of the Franciscans. Yes. Right? They're yes. like cousins yes, of the yes. Franciscans. Yes, quite a lot of people like to point out that in the th I think St. Francis was in the 13th century, if I'm not mistaken. So later, he came after he came, the Sufis. He came later, but there are 13th century Sufis who resemble very much St. Francis. And people talk about this resemblance, but you are absolutely right. That's fascinating. Yes. Because and also uh, St. Francis' relationship with the animal world. And the birds, nature, yes. And nature. talk to birds. Absolutely. And this also comes in the... Yeah, uh, how so? Uh, well, they, they say, for example, that the... Um, well, the, the, like St. Francis, he was a saint. So in Christianity, they developed the concepts or the category of saints, yes. Mm -hmm. in, in, in Islam, it's a little bit... In Sufism, it's a little bit different they don't talk about saints but they talk about they have a, a, an expression wali in the plural awliya or in the current arabic it's willy and really what it means like if you open the dictionary and you want to know what it literally means it means friend so they are friends of god they are equivalent, more or less, mm -hmm. to the saints in uh, in uh, Islam. So they will say to in go... Christianity. In, in Christianity, beg your pardon. So to go back to your question, they will have many stories about the relationship between these awliya, these friends of God, with animals. And, um, for example, one of them, one of these stories, if I may tell you a little s story. Um, of course. Uh, one of the, it's an anecdote which comes from the com compilations of Sufi literature. And uh, it's a story about a certain shepherd who was a Sufi in his heart. And he went, um, he, he had sheep he, um, and what, he had to go on prayer, to, to pray to the mosque. And um, uh, he wasn't absolutely sure what's going, who is going to take care of the sheep. And then there was this wolf. And he said to the wolf, you take care of my sheep. And if you obey me and do your work properly, I'm going to give you something to eat afterwards. So here's a story, you know, of course, uh, we are not looking into the historicity of these stories. but just So what's the moral of the, the story? Moral of it Never trust the wolf? <laughs> No, on the contrary, the, the wolf obeyed him. He, ah, he obeyed. He obeyed him. The, the moral of the story is that the power of this friend of God is so great because of his connection with God. You can wield That even the wolf. wild animals will obey him. Uh -huh. I mean, uh -huh. that's just an example. So uh, that's so interesting. And the similarities between religions, yes. it's amazing yes. sometimes, right? Yes. But back to the Sufism. So okay, so they uh, they have this mystical um, dimension, layer yes. dimension, and but but why? What was the need mm -hmm. from which they were born in the first place? Why did they came to be at all? Because fantastic question. You should come to one of my classes <laughs> because this is really good, 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 good question. So, uh, first of all, I'll maybe I'm in the wrong field in, of studies. Uh, no, not necessarily. <laughs> it touches on so many uh, other fields as well. But just to say now that, um, as far as I can understand, and this is my impression, it's not that uh, it's. You're the, the main authority, as far uh, as I'm concerned. It's just a sense that I have 
watching people, not only Sufis, but people who lend themselves or tend towards mysticism, that it's like a bug. It's like a virus. It's like something that you are born with, or maybe you get um, influenced by something in your life at a certain point. But it, can, it doesn't have a logical explanation. It doesn't have, I cannot say why somebody is going to be drawn to Sufism. This is something, it usually happens, uh, as far as I can see from people that I know today, currently, it, a lot of the time it comes, it, there is a kind of like a sense in a certain person, maybe you know it from yourself, I'm not really satisfied, I'm not really content. Something's missing. Something is missing. I'm searching for something, but I'm not sure what. And then it happens that you read a book mm-hmm. or that you meet a certain person with kind of charisma, with inspiration, and you get inspired. It's called a cult. <laughs> no, not necessarily, not necessarily. Okay. It can, it can, it can, definitely. Definitely, you know, the nuances are very meaningful. Right. And I don't know really to, to uh, sketch the boundaries between a cult and a stream. And, yeah, and, it is uh, hard. It is hard. Chabad is a cult as far as I'm concerned, but to many people, but to many it's people, just a stream. It is not. So I prefer not to use the word cult because it registers as something very... Um, it, it, right. has a, it is conceptualized as something, and, and I'm not sure that... That's the case. But that's today. But we're talking about 200 years after. Always. A, it, after it, 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 so, okay. so close to Muhammad. I know. And I the know. need already started so early. It's a perfect, a very good question. Like, like um, the way that, again, my interpretation of it is, uh, first of all, the Sufis will, uh, themselves will say Muhammad was also a Sufi. There were traits of Muhammad that they extol and they praise and they say these are Sufi characteristics. But that's not historical. Um, From a historical point of view, I would say this. You see, there is something very interesting in in Islam and this is the the doctrine that prophecy has ended with Muhammad. Mm. I don't know if you are aware of it or your listeners are aware of it. Like prophecy, according to Islam, started with Adam, the first human being, and then went through all the figures that we are familiar from. Jesus, the, also. Uh, before Jesus, we yeah, have our prophets, Shet and Noah and um, and um, and uh, Abraham, of Ezekiel. Uh, but yes, no, before that, ah, all, all, the, yeah, all the all the patriarchs, yeah. all of them. Yeah, they all take of them. A, they are, embrace uh, everyone. Embrace is the right word. So Islam has embraced all the um, uh, biblical figures of prophets, including also John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. John is called Yahya and Jesus was called Isa, but they are the the John the Baptist and the Isa and the, and the and okay. So and then finally, after a long period of Nothing between Jesus and this person from Arabia called Muhammad, who got the prophecy via the angel Gabriel. And all is well in the world. Now there is a prophet who is speaking Arabic, who gets a book in Arabic, and he is the last one. Mm-hmm. He is definitely the last one. After him, the belief, and this is one of the strongest beliefs in Islam, never disputed or hardly disputed. Um, no more prophets, no more prophecy. And my understanding of it is, and this is based also on, on texts, on very early texts, that the feeling was that what are human beings going to, de- to do now that the mediator between them as human beings and God has ceased to exist? What's happening now? And, and there are there are pieces of literature, traditions you may call them, that say after prophecy had ceased, there came the successors of the prophets. And the successors of the prophets were these friends of God. They were not prophets. They never received a book like a Quran or a Sharia or a Torah or something like that. But they were very close to God and they are the link 
the link between human beings and God, and also they are called the pillars of the earth. Without them, the earth cannot exist. Because they have to have, they are called stakes or pillars or all kinds of terms like that, which describe the sort of solidity which they afford to A, the human race, and also to the world, to the world itself. You know? Yeah. So they are the upholder of the earth and the connectors between everything that exists on earth and God. Mm-hmm. So, so this gives a kind of framework to the need because people also need, like those who oppose the Sufis will say, what do you know? What do you need these friends of God? They're not necessary. We had all the previous prophets. We had our, we had our prophets. We have the Sharia. We have the interpreters of the Sharia who are the ulama, the, 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 the religious uh, scholars. We don't need anything else. And that's a, that's one of the bone of contentions. Okay, but then, so but who conceived the concept of Sufism? Do we even know? Yes, we do know. We do know. Uh, this uh, the, uh, I, I can't go. I don't think you have enough time for me to go into the minutiae of the of the historical stages. But we know that in uh, the middle of the ninth century. Mm-hmm. There was a circle of um, seekers in Baghdad, uh, and and that was a very important center historically speaking because they had one of the reasons was that they had a very charismatic and beloved teacher. His name was Junaid, and it was at that time that they distinguished themselves as a sep- separate or. Let's call it separate. Why not? Exclusive group within club. <laughs> a club. Yes, yes. In fact, it started as sort of local centers, and gradually, only later in the eleventh, like the breakfast club, something only, like that, something like a podcast club. <laughs> yes. yes, they would convene together and they would pray together and they would do the zikr, which is a kind of meditation. And they adopted the name Sufis. Now, to go into explanation what it means and why will take us, I don't know if that's what you want to do. Uh, the, 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 the word itself, Sufi, comes from an Arabic word, um, Suf, which means wool. Okay. And, and one, of, one of the characteristics, not the main and not the one that everybody adopted, but one of the characteristics was that they wore or they claimed to wear woolen clothes. Mm-hmm. Not Kashmir, not very elegant one, but very coarse, very coarse. And, and that was the idea of poverty. Mm-hmm. So everything is kind of connected. Again, reminds somehow. you of the clothes of the Franciscans. They also uh, yes. distinguish themselves with the kind of a sack they e- Exactly. And yeah. they would go, the Sufis, the early Sufis will go to the biblical figures like Elijah and, and, and also John the Baptist and Jesus who wore um, sacks. sacks. So, so this is kind of mm-hmm. like the explanation, the, no, the, the, the standard explanation of the term. And, and eventually, like as I say, we, we really know quite a lot about this uh, club or this um, um, circle of uh, Junaid's disciples in Baghdad in the middle of the ninth century. That's when the term Sufi, they adopted the term Sufi, and since then it became... And this is before Shiites? No, Shiites came very, very close to the death of the of the Prophet Muhammad because okay. it was connected with... The... Because I'm thinking about the wars they these two streams had, and I wonder, did yes. the Sufis ever find themselves in a war or slaughtered no, or massacred? No, no, Again, I say no, and somebody will find some proof, a textual proof to show that, yes, there was an occasion or there was this. But on the whole, they did not, they, they were, on the whole, they were Sunnis. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't uh, go into all these political and militant uh, fights. 
on the whole, as I say, mm-hmm. it's a big topic and, you know, we are not in an academic seminar right, right, to go right. into the details of it. But generally speaking, they did, they, they were more, more, most of them were Sunnis. Uh-huh. Um, and are, they, are there Shiite Sufis yes, nowadays? Yes, yes, yeah, that's That was going to be my next okay. uh, sentence to say that nevertheless, there are also Sufis who are Shiites. Wow, that's so Not complicated. Many. That's very complicated. And when the um, Khomeini came to power in, um, in, in Iran, there was a period that many Sufis, many self-proclaimed Sufis or those who had the schools, they were harassed. They, and and, and they, ISIS, did they harass Sufis? I believe so. I believe so, but right. but I the think extremes, the extremes, the extremes. But but I I think Sufis have got, as I told you before. I think by the time they we come to ISIS, they have already uh, employed their strategies to mm-hmm. not to be too pronounced, not mm-hmm. to be too obvious. So they are on the whole, they are not playing the political uh, game. So they started in Iraq, and slowly but surely, they started you know growing, yes. growing and growing and growing. Yes. Yes. And no, they, they started, at the same time, there were many other schools as well. What I told you about the school of Baghdad was because that was the central school, and that was the school that adopted the term Sufi, while other centers... Simultaneously, more Exactly, or less. simultaneously, exactly, like in Transoxania or in Khorasan, which is the northeastern part of Iran, or in Syria... They, they were also circles, but they didn't call themselves Sufis until a later period. So it's a grass, grassroots movement. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. The first one, maybe. Absolutely. The first grassroots movement. Uh, absolutely, yes. And how big did they become? Well, then again, it depends on historically what time we are talking about. Like, for example, by the time we arrived at the 12th century, there were lots and lots and lots of schools and centers and teachers and texts and uh, and practices and so mi- millions 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 by the 12th century there are millions yes and and so the 12th century something happened uh, they started to become congealed not only around centers like local centers but they became i call i Call this process, they have become from local to global. Mm-hmm. So Sufism has become global and it produced itself along lines also very similar to Christian um, societies as brotherhoods, mm-hmm. which in Arabic are called tariqas. Maybe you heard this term, turuk, tariqa. He, I mean, even today, people will ask, you are Sufi? Okay, so which tariqa do you belong to? Is it the Nakshbandiya? Which the... club? Yes, but club in a global sense, uh-huh. in, in a sense that covers a very large geographical area, uh, not just bound by, let's say, Baghdad or Iraq or Iran, but gen- generally speaking. Like, for example, I give you an example, like one of the greatest tariqas, uh, Sufi tariqas today is the Nakshbandiya. Iran. Where you'll find them. You'll ah, find them it's everywhere. It's just a name, and they it's have just a name, branches. They name, and you would like to call it cult. Some some kind of practices and uh, history, um, and in a sense of identity. Uh, on top of being Muslims, there are also Naqshbandis. But the Naqshbandis, you'll find them. You'll find them in Nablus. Uh-huh. You'll find them in Egypt. You find them in Iran. You'll find them in. They are all over the place. This is one stream of Sufism, exactly. of which there are several. Many. 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 And each one is a little bit different. And each one is a little bit different, and also they, it, it's a kind of very flexible system which allows for sub branches to appear. So, for example, if it's Shadiliya, for example, I just throw names. Yeah. Name you can group. just ma- you can also make up names. I wouldn't know. Yeah, okay, <laughs> but maybe your uh, listeners will yes, know. They're... Okay, so let's say the Shazilia started in North Africa and then it migrated, or some of its um, disciples migrated to Egypt, and so they could. It's absolutely okay to produce 
a sub-branch of the Shadiliya. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's a very flexible system. That's mind-blowing because, because we're used to set of laws that, you know, I can't just go and make up a stream in Judaism. No, you, you can't. Know, it's, it's... But also in Islam, not every Muslim can do that. They, they, has to, they have to be these teachers that um, establish or the disciples establish uh, streams. They have to be very prestigious. Yes, and yet it's possible. You it can, is you possible. You can work your way up, become yes. someone, and then you can... Break you apart. can draw so many disciples and write books or maybe have uh, seminars and people listen to you that a new sub-branch is... So how many Sufis are there nowadays? Many, many millions. We don't know many, the exact many number. Many, many millions. I, I've tried... Tens of millions? Many more. More. More than tens of millions. Hundreds of millions. Hundreds of millions yes. of Sufis. Yes. Look, I, I don't know if I anybody... I think we should give them a state by now, don't you? Oh, <laughs> well, they do, I, I'm not sure that they want to. Because one of the characteristics is to blend in wherever they are. A little bit like the Druze. Yeah, like the Druze. Yeah, a little bit like the Druze. The Druze were not the first one to invent this. It, uh-huh. It's a kind of like I keep a low profile. So what does it mean to keep a low profile? It means that I blend. I, I, I Until one day, you can't blend anymore. Yes, that's true. That's true. That's true. So uh, again, you asked me about I don't remember exactly what your question was, but I remember that I said depending on the period in history. So then I told you about the 12th century where they started to become global mm-hmm. and then i think this lasted more or less until the let's say the 19th century take take a, f- a few scores of years or not what happened in the 19th century more or less is two movement universal movement but also uh, affecting islam started to um, take hold of the societies, and one was the movement of secularity. Mm-hmm. You know, like for example, you know, may you may know, or some of you listeners may know that in Turkey, which was uh, uh, full of Sufis of all types of uh, uh, traditions, but Ataturk, who wanted to make Turkey into a modern and secular state prohibited the existence of the Sufi, of, of the Sufi um, by law by law by law and to they practice it even yes they so this was the first time in more or less in history where a country declared war a on modern, the actu- a, modern, modern. A, a modern culture mm-hmm. now he didn't kill anyone as far as I know but still. but but they all went underground mm-hmm. they all went underground and lo and behold, Ataturk passed away. His and, legacy is also... And, and, and now, now it's kind of like what's happening. Is, is Turkey still a secular country or not? But the Sufis... Re-emerged. 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 And this, is, this also happened in the states like Kyrgyzstan and uh, Turkmenistan and other stands which were under Uzbekistan, which were under the rule of the Soviet Union. It was forbidden for them to practice Sufism. The Soviet Union collapsed and they emerged, re-emerged. Do they have, like, are there countries like Iran, which says they have represented... Are they represented somewhere in a government in a way or never? Maybe on an individual basis. Maybe Mm. there is an MP or something like that who happens to be a Sufi, but not as a nominated Sufi. And what's good? In, in, by, by the way, in Egypt, it's a little bit different. Um, but what, what's the situation in Israel? Do we know how many Sufis are there here? Well, I think thousands. Thousands. So relatively thousands. small. Relatively small, but they are dispersed in many places. Like you have, obviously, you have in Jerusalem, you have in Beit Safafa, you have in in Galilee, you have in Sakhnin. You have in Bakal Garbiya. You have many centers, many Sufi centers. But you're right; they are small. They do believe this, and they believe, like I said, in in they are peaceful. 
they tend to be peaceful. They tend not to negotiate in the rifts and struggles, political or military. But how does the peacefulness of Sufism um, connect with the violent, vicious parts of the Quran? We all know there are these horrific parts of the Quran, uh, the, the, super the, violent. How do they make this is a, this contradict is... itself? Look, I don't want to be the advocate of the Quran, but I would like to say as a scholar that the Quran has, it depends what you are looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say that also in the Bible, that also in the Bible, there are many instances in which there is a horrific kind of vengeful yes. uh, Lord punishing and so on and so forth. But there, there are also other parts and uh, it depends where you look. There are many passages in the Quran which are not violent, which are calling, which are uh, exhibiting and promoting the idea of um, mercy, mercy towards one another, mercy towards other people. Um, so they don't see as us as heretics, the Sufis. Well, this you have to ask them. You I, must have talked I, I, to no, them. No, no, I, I never, I must tell you, I never asked a Sufi, and I've been in touch with uh, quite a few. Do you think that I am a heretic? It's not polite to ask such a question. Really? Yes. Because, direct. because it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Like, I don't know what they think. And of but course... Isn't it, it interesting? <laughs> it's very interesting. So. On a one-to-one basis, I have got many students. I had... I'm not teaching anymore, sort of formally, um, but Muslim students. And I can tell you many episodes about that, but I don't know if this is where you want uh, us to go. Um, But this is a question I would never ask. I personally would never ask somebody, do you think I'm a heretic? Because it's too confrontational. Right, right, right. And I don't think it's right to embarrass. The the idea, one more thing that I'd like to say, that uh, one of the affinities that Sufism has with modern people, like, for example, with a person like myself, is uh, that it's very astute psychologically. It has uh, an under, a psychological understanding, which is very, very astute and could also um, be applied to modern people. And it's it's not necessarily something that is bound by a certain law or by a certain prohibition. It's on top of it. It's on top of it. So they don't. You don't hear them uh, talk about the conflict. The Sufis. I, I, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. I, again, if I tell you that there is this um, uh, meeting that my friend Melila is engaged with and also her Muslim friend, and there are many other Muslim friends, they of, obviously they talk about uh, the conflict, but they are not necessarily Sufis as such. They are Palestinians who want to search for some sort of bridge-making. Well, you're and n- some of them may be Sufis, but not necessarily. I can be I can be upfront with you since you're not uh, Sufi. I can ask you the hard questions um, without embarrassing you. I hope so. Uh, a Suf- will a Sufi ever make a suicide um, bombing uh, I terror can't, act? I, I can't see that. I can't. No, no. Will no. they ever hold a weapon? No. Will they ever stab yes, a soldier? Hold hold a weapon. Yes, and there were instances in history where they combated against um, col- colonialism, like in like in um, um, like in the Cossacks in um, in Russia who were under the Tsars. They fought the the, and there are other instances. So I can't say that they will never hold a weapon. And in our history, like in uh, here, n- not as a do group, we know about... Not as a group, as individual people, who knows? Who knows? I, 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 have, I personally have never heard about somebody who is a known Sufi and, and uh, acted out violently or even uh-huh. uh, as a terrorist. I, I don't know. Because it's always like, the, the, as, a, as, a, as a group, Definitely not. As individuals, who is to say? But as a group, it definitely stands against what they believe in. 
Sorry, say it again. They, they, it stands against what they believe in, the, the concept of, I, of... I would use positive. Of, I, I, would, uh, I would phrase it differently. Okay. They don't stand against. Oh, this doesn't stand against. They don't want to interrupt their um, very, very deep dealings with God by having to deal with this or that aspect of a political or historical I see. Uh, event. Good enough. Uh, <laughs> more, more than we can ask for. Absolutely. <laughs> there's a very famous example that usually people give, like there's one of the great names in Sufi history, I don't know if it will mean anything to your listeners, is Al-Ghazali. He was an 11th century Sufi, also a scholar, and he uh, produced a lot of literature which meant to bring together Sufism with, with mainstream Islam. Now, he lived in the time of the Crusades, and he wrote huge volumes of uh, texts. The Crusades are never mentioned, and people always wonder. I mean, here he was, he lived, and he also made quite a lot of tours, uh, out of his practices, practice of wandering from place to place. He never mentions the uh, Crusades, mm -hmm. which means he was otherwise occupied, otherwise engaged. And their engagement is God. And this is so total that this is what we cannot understand. Yeah. Yeah. We it can does go... make sense in a way, in the, on the other hand, yes. you know? Yes. What we really never understand is the Shahid uh, yeah. culture. What you describe is is understandable because this is the meaning of spirituality, no devotion. Absolutely, devotion and S devotion, submission, poverty of the heart. The heart doesn't want anything. Mm -hmm. Doesn't want to have a larger house to annex the, the 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 neighbor's village or anything like that. So, what's the biggest question that you're dealing with right now that you didn't find an answer to yet in your research? Oh. Uh... <laughs> Look, um, well, since you ask me, and this is not a confrontational question, but I have to, to answer it and also to promote myself a little bit. Yes. A and I would say that I have two lines of uh, investigation, and I'm writing sort of in a two-tone, like, um, how would you describe it? Like uh, Parallel... Parallel uh, um, uh, melodies. Okay. And one is strictly speaking academic. And as such, in this capacity, although I'm interested in many different things connected with Sufism, but my main work now, which I'm all, almost finishing because I've just finished writing a book, was about the very early period of Islamic mysticism. I don't even call it Sufism, I call it early manifestations of Islamic mysticism. And this is very fascinating because I, mean, I can't go into yeah. detail. We'll read the book. Yes, you'll read the book. I'm not sure that you'll <laughs> read the book, but that's one. It's, it's academic, it's technical, okay. it's based on text and translations and so on and so forth. Okay. But at the same time, I'm very much interested in the deeper sense of Sufism in the mystical sense of Sufi. I'm, I'm very much interested in it. So in that capacity, you mentioned the book that I had written, uh, um, uh, The Taste of uh, Hidden Things, mm -hmm. and that was quite a long time ago. But now I'm preparing to write a Hebrew version of it. Uh -huh. And this is going to be from my, how shall I say it? The Sufis have a term, uh, what we call in modern language, we call experience yes don't talk to me about ideas talk to me about experiences right, right. they in their language they will talk about taste have you tasted it you know you cannot describe honey they're they more sensu say, sensual sensual tactile you know all this kind of it's also sensual but also what does what does it mean to be bereft of uh, the feeling that god has I can't, I can't find God, that I'm searching and searching, something like that, or making tremendous effort and finding, I'm nowhere, I'm nowhere, I'm bewildered, I'm in the desert, I'm in the forest. Uh -huh. So this is another, another, another aspect of Sufism that I'm 
I'm and I'm working on both. And you had the Hebrew book, uh, an anthology, yes. which didn't come in English, right? That's right. Yes. If Will you, it? Yeah. Do do the, this is very important. You know the anthology that I compiled. Uh-huh. Uh, in Hebrew first, it appeared in 2008 at the University uh, of Tel Aviv Publishing House. Uh-huh. And quite a voluble book, which is all t- texts written originally in Arabic, which I had translated and also arranged, mm-hmm. organized. Mm-hmm. Now, this came a year ago. It came out in Arabic. Really? Okay. And can you believe it? It came out in Beirut. By wow. by an Arab Lebanese publisher. Wow. That's the highlight of it. It's amazing. My, it's amazing. It's amazing. And it sells. It does. It does. Wow. So so what but, about English then? Exactly. Exactly. And that is something that first of all I have become a little bit tired of working on anthologies. So I need other people to take it up and to say, well, look, we have it in Hebrew and we have it in Arabic. We must have it also in so English. So if someone who listens yes. wants to help Professor yes. Sviri yes. and help her In finding a publisher and also then funding it because yes. in the end it's a question of finding right. a publisher. A it's, a mitzvah. It's, it's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah. It's a great mitzvah. So we'll post your, your email. Yes. And and the book, the the, the taste of hidden, all, things. of hidden things is on Amazon, guys. So you yes. can find it on Amazon, yes. purchase it and read it. And and also the anthology in Arabic. I don't think that the anthology in Hebrew is on Amazon, mm-hmm. but the anthology in Arabic for those who live in, um, who can read Arabic, it's yes. available on Amazon. We actually have some downloads in Arab countries. Yes. I see it in our yes. statistics. Yes. Um, and last but not least, do you do tours? Like if someone wants to invite you to a talk, you do that? In America, I, for I, example? Well, <laughs> You're open? this is an open question. The, 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 the open answer is yes. Okay. Provided uh, of course. It, it makes sense from all kinds of... Of course. Of, uh, so me. we'll put your contact details. In. Please do. And, and before we go, uh, we have a collaboration with the Jewish Journal. The, yes. uh, it's the, their website is jewishjournal.com. You can find their amazing content in English by the best journalists uh, who write them. They're Ben Shapiro and Rosner and uh, Suisa and all kinds of really brilliant writers. And guys, we accept donations. <laughs> so uh, after you finish financing the amazing book of Professor Zviri, and if you have some funds left, you can also go to 2ngb.com slash donate and send some money in our way. That is it. Thank you for having me in your kitchen. Well, thank you very much, Nao. This was a very pleasant afternoon. I hope it has some echoes. And if it does, please let me know. Thank you. Bye. Bye.